0: Hello, welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series Solon. This series covers the five pivotal ideas of the Protestant Reformation. Grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, Christ alone, glory to God alone. These ideas lie at the heart of the true Christian faith and are as foundational today as they were 500 years ago.
1: We are continuing on in our series this morning of the five solas. Uh, I'm gonna try to step into Brett's shoes just a little bit here. uh, Do something that I think Brett is very fitted to do and I am very not fitted to do. So I ask that you bear with me. and, And my sincere hope is that through this series, we would be encouraged We would see the work of God congealed down, made more succinct in a way that encourages us in our faith, in the way that we hold to the faith, in the way that we proclaim that faith and passed on both to the next generation of our children as well as the next generation of believers as God brings in the harvest. It's my privilege to stand before you today and to bring God's word. Would you please stand? Um, Bobby Bell is going to lead us in the reading of our text this morning. The message this morning is entitled Sola, Solus Christus. We are saved by Christ alone. Our text is going to be Romans 3 verses 23 through 26. Bobby, thank you.
0: For all have sinned, short of glory
1: God Hold on, Bobby. I'd like us all to read this together, please. Bobby, thank you.
0: For all have
1: Father, your servant Paul indicts all of humanity in the book of Romans. He says that we are under your curse of anger. We are under your curse of judgment because we have sinned against you. And he presents to us in one of the most glorious ways in all of history Christ our Savior. Father, it is my prayer this morning that we would see Christ your Son, our Savior, our High Priest, magnified, glorified sitting at the right hand of God in power for our sake. And the Father, as we see your Son in your word, as we see you more clearly, Lord, may we be changed to more closely represent Christ in the world where you've placed us. In his name I pray, amen. You can be seated. Thank you very much. I'm going to date myself here a little bit. Uh, When I was growing up, there was a cartoon called Animaniacs. And I used to watch it, and they had this bit called Good, Good Idea, Bad Idea. And a good idea, a bad idea, they would have two things, first a good idea and then a bad idea. And the point was to show just how small differences, small distinctions can have a big impact. And so I uh, was going through and looking at some of these videos. Uh, so I was thinking about the message this morning, and a couple of them that came to mind were, good idea, take a big breath before jumping into a pool. Bad idea, take a big breath after jumping into a pool. Good idea. Feeding stray kittens in the park, bad idea. Feeding stray kittens in a park to a bear. Small differences can have major consequences. And this is really what was vexing Luther. Uh, as, As Luther was looking at indulgences specifically, he was grieved by the practice he was grieved by the statement from the church and the, the weight that it was putting onto the members of the church in his community and around the world by extent that by paying for this indulgence justification could be procured. Paul was not, I'm sorry, not Paul, Luther. Mm-hmm. Luther was not, this is like uh, that old British philosopher or theologian that Brett was talking about, Josephus. Luther was not saying that justification was not necessary. Luther knew that justification was very necessary, but there was a very fine distinction between how justification was brought about. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So this morning, uh, our first point here is we're going to look briefly at our text here, and we're going to look at guilt, atonement, and reconciliation. We're going to go from there, and we're going to look at why solus Christus is necessary. We're then going to look at why solace Christ is necessary in our day, and then we're going to come to the Lord's table. So, guilt, atonement, and reconciliation. Our fundamental problem is that our sin is nothing short of criminal guilt before God. Go ahead. There's a couple things that we need to take away from this. Number one, we are responsible for our own guilt. And it's, it's all of us that fit into this category. All have sinned. But I'll point out two things from the Greek, and this will be heady for just a moment, and we'll bring it back down to real life. In the Greek, this "for all have sinned." This "have sinned" sounds like us. To, like, it sounds to us like a past perfect statement. It's not. In the Greek, it's an aorist. It's a present with continuous action. For all have sinned. What Paul is saying there is, we are all continuously sinning. And then when he says, and have fallen, or do fall short of the glory of God, that do fall short is, uh, what is that? It's actually a present middle voice. Now, the reason that I'm pointing this out is because the middle voice, we have in English, I threw the ball, or I threw the ball to me. And we can have a first person, or we can have a, uh, I'm missing my terms, anyway. The point is, there's a, a, way in the Greek to say that we do something to ourselves. It's called the middle voice. If I throw the ball, I'm using the first voice. If the ball is thrown to me, it's the third voice. If I throw the, throw the ball to myself, that's the middle voice. And what Paul is saying here is we all have fallen short. We cause ourselves to fall short in an ongoing way before God, and therefore we've fallen short of his glory. David talks about this as well, after his sin with Bathsheba, after he assassinates Uriah, is unfaithful to his own wives, goes to bed with Bathsheba, has a child by her, as he's reflecting on this in Psalm 51, listen to what David says. First of all, and I won't go into this at all except to say this, listen to the parallelism there between you'll be justified and proved right when you judge and Paul's saying so that he can be justified and the one who just, so he, so God will be proven just and the justifier of all who believe in him. Take that away and think on it for a while. What's David say here? David says here, number one, every action, every sin that we commit towards another person is ultimately and finally a sin against God alone. Our fundamental problem is not that we have little sins that go on. Our fundamental problem is that every sin that I commit to my wife, to my children, to my neighbor, to the stranger who passes me on the street, is ultimately at its most significant point, sin against God. David says, to you, against you, and you alone, Lord, have I sinned. He committed adultery. He assassinated a guy who was faithful to him. He lied about it. He covered it up. But he says, that's not the point. The point is, I sinned against God alone. So the result of our guilt is uh, that we have two things that happen. Number one, we are guilty before God. And number two, we are alienated from God. Guilty before God, alienated from God. As a result, we need two things. We need a blood sacrifice to cleanse our guilt. We'll talk about that in a minute. And we need a mediator to bring us back from alienation with God. That's what causes our justification. So when we look at Solus Christus, why is Christ alone important? Because unless Christ's atoning sacrifice is both sufficient and exclusive, we have no grounds for our righteousness. There is no grounds for justification unless Christ's sacrifice Atone for our sins completely and is the only way that sins may be atoned for. So we look at this and, and we can look through the history of uh, the, new, the Old Testament and we, we can actually start in, do I want to start here? You know, for the sake of time, we'll skip this. I'll simply put a note in it and say this. When we look from Adam to Moses to David, what we see is that the sin caused separation Blood was necessary. In Adam's case, it was the animal that was killed to provide the clothing. In Moses' case, it was the lamb, the Passover lamb. And because of that, there was also a mediator that was necessary. The mediator in in Adam's case was God himself. He said, I'm promising you there's going to be a seed. In Moses' case, Moses was the mediator. He stood there between God and man, and he spoke to both on each other's behalf. He brought a case to God saying, don't judge these people. And he went back to the people and said, obey God. He spoke for both, to both. That's what a mediator is fundamentally. And then we get to David. David also was alienated. He tells us in that same proverb, he says, Lord, don't take your spirit from me. Don't cast me out of your presence. That's the alienation that comes. And there was also a blood sacrifice that was necessary to atone for David's sin don't make the mistake of thinking that it was the death of his son. Don't make that mistake. When Paul says that God covered over the sins that were previously committed so that he would be proved just and the justifier of those who believe, the one who brought the blood, sacrifice, that atoned for David's sin was David's grandson a thousand years later. That's what this means. So why is Solus Christus important? Solus Christus is important... Uh, and the medieval church would agree with this because Christ is necessary for justification. And the medieval church agreed with this. Christ is necessary for justification. But the medieval church said Christ is not sufficient for justification. There was an equation, if you will, that led to justification that the medieval church had. It was the merits of Christ plus the merits of Mary plus my merits, equals my justification. And so what Christ did is really good, and I I depend on that. I then pray to Mary so that she can perfect my faith. I pray to the other saints. I do my my works of oblation. I pay penance. I, I do all these things, and that's my act of justification so that at the end of all these things, when I stand before God, God will say, okay, you made it. You have now no longer fallen short of my glory. You stepped over the gap. Well, the reformers said to that, um, Christ's merits, Mary's merits, my merits, equals not justified. Their response was, sola scriptura. What does the Bible say about this? What's our grounds of authority here? How does scripture say that we are justified? And what they said is that only Christ Scripture says only Christ can justify. So we're going to look at this. We're going to look at the atoning... Um, we're going to look at how we are atoned by Christ's blood. Uh, Romans three twenty four through 25. Bob, would you read that for us, please? Do you have that? Yeah. You may need to go back up to the top of that page.
0: All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Keep going. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood.
1: God presented Christ as an atonement through His blood. This is the answer, Paul says. To our sin problem. God presents Christ as an atoning sacrifice, presents him through his blood. Um, I'm going to go through these quickly. Bobby's getting ready here. We're going to kind of go through these as quickly as we can. But it is, uh, without the blood of Christ, it is impossible for our guilt to be atoned for. You're going to see these hopefully up on the screen here. We'll look at Hebrews 9.22 for this. I would encourage you to write these down and go back and meditate on these later. Without the shedding
0: of blood, there is no forgiveness
1: of sins. Um No. Uh, I got I skipped ahead of myself here, which is okay. So without the shedding of blood, um, there is no forgiveness of sin. The Reformers looked at this and they said, Scripture says... The shedding of blood, all these sacrificial system that's in place, the blood that's been shed for several thousands of years by the priests who mediated this covenant between God and his people. This is what was atoning for the guilt of the people. We get to Christ and Paul says, not only is that not good enough, but that was never good enough it was necessary for Christ to come and give his own blood so that that guilt would be atoned for. Which is why, even after the animal was killed, so that Adam could be clothed, Christ still needed to be come. If it was enough for an animal to be killed, for the blood to be shed for Adam's sin, for Adam's nakedness then to be covered by the skin of that animal, to be clothed in that animal there would have been no need for God to kick Adam and Eve out of the garden. The reason they were kicked out of the garden is because that sacrifice was not sufficient, even though God was the one himself who performed that very sacrifice on their behalf. It was not sufficient. Only Christ's sacrifice is sufficient. So, removal of our guilt, Hebrews 10
0: because it is impossible for the
1: blood of and goats to take away sins. Christ's sacrifice was sufficient for our salvation. Hebrews 7 24
0: and 25. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them.
1: Just remind me, real quick. How much is, God, is Christ able to save them? So I'm going to say it again. Completely. You catch that? Completely. Because Christ lives forever, he is able to save, some of your translations say, to the uttermost, those who come to him. Christ alone was, uh, was perfect, and therefore a perfect sacrifice. We see this In Hebrews 7, 26 and 27.
0: Such a high priest meets our needs. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself.
1: Christ was the necessary mediator, Hebrews 9, 15. For this reason, Christ is the
0: mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant.
1: Christ was the exclusive mediator, 1 Timothy 2.5 and then Galatians 3.20. For
0: there is one God and one mediator between God and man, men, the man Christ Jesus, a mediator, however, does not represent just one party but God is one Christ is the
1: necessary reconciler 2 Corinthians
0: 5:21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God
1: Christ is the exclusive reconciler Acts
0: 4:12 salvation is found in no one else For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved.
1: So the reformers go through the scripture. In answer to Christ's merits plus Mary's merits plus my merits equals justification. They say no. No. Christ's merits plus anyone else's merits means not justified. Christ alone is the ground, the necessity, the sufficiency, and the exclusive means of my righteousness. Therefore... There is no other intermediary. I am not saved by being a part of a church. The church does not justify me. I am not justified by the merits of the saints. I am not justified by doing penance. If Christ has not justified me, I am not righteous. But if Christ has made me righteous, the story's over. So why is solus Christus important? Because we look to so many other things to justify us, and we look to so many other things to be our mediator between us and God. The reformer said, if you do that, you lose Christ. Solus Christus means this, number one. God in his holiness has demanded either perfection on our part or a perfect sacrifice. Number two, God in his kindness and mercy has provided a perfect sacrifice for our guilt. Number three, through Christ's perfect sacrifice, the sinner is made righteous. His sin and guilt is atoned for. Number four, through Christ's perfect mediation, we are brought near to God. So why do we have a need for this today? Well, as Brett said with the previous two points, the state today both inside the church and outside the church, is significantly worse than it was 500 years ago. Not only is Christ not seen as sufficient, Christ is now not seen as necessary for salvation. When we sing, there is no other name by which men can be saved, the world looks at that and says, well, that's hateful. That's hateful speech. That's ignorant. The world has moved, and much of the church is included in this, has moved away from saying Christ is the only way to saying not only is Christ not the only way, Christ can't be the only way and even suggest that Christ is the only way is fascist, hateful, choose your word. What they don't say is false because uh, we can't make truth claims on this. We have the truth claim thing here and we're saying no Christ is is the only way. And it's either true or it's not. Going back to Martin Luther, Martin Luther would say this, if Mary's merits are sufficient, if Mary's a sufficient mediator, then go to Mary. If doing penance is sufficient, then do penance. But if it's not, then do what's necessary for justification. So Jesus is not only not good enough, he's not the only way. People don't really need Jesus because people are basically good. And even if people aren't basically good, God wouldn't really punish people anyway because God's a loving guy. And that kind of summarizes the cultural view of why Romans 3, 23 through 26 should really be stricken from the record everywhere. But It's not just that way. Uh, Rather, I'll get to the church. couple survey points here that Brett's already commented on. I'll give you a couple others. Statement. Even the slightest sin deserves damnation. 75 people, 75% of people polled disagree with this. Now this isn't inside the church. This is society at large. 59% of people strongly disagreed with that statement. Statement. There are many ways to go to heaven. 44% of people agree with this. Statement. Salvation is found through Jesus Christ alone. 35% of people strongly agree with this. 18% of people somewhat agree. Statement. Everyone sins at least a little bit, but everyone is basically good. 67% 67% of people agree with us. That's our society. Inside the church, though, inside the evangelical church that claims to stand on Scripture alone, through Christ alone, we wrestle with us. And we live as though Jesus, as if his sacrifice was not enough for atonement. Now, why do I say that? Do we walk around saying, you know, does the average person in Bay Ridge walk around and say, uh, yes, Jesus died for me, but really I need to work harder so that God's going to be pleased with me? Well, yeah, sure. The average person probably does. Why? Because we've lived under bad teaching for, for a long time. We, it's, it's one of those things that kind of seeps into us that unless we work hard enough, we're not going to be accepted. It's contrary to scripture. It's contrary to Christ alone, but it's, it's definitely infused us. We've been You know, there's traditions that we've come out of that are very heavy on guilt that say if you don't, then God won't. If you do, then God might. We live in that. It saturates us. Okay. But where does it really come down? Where do we really say Christ's sacrifice wasn't enough? In the way that we respond with forgiveness and love. If Christ's sacrifice is enough to atone for my guilt... But Christ's sacrifice is not atone, enough to atone for your guilt towards me. Then Christ's sacrifice was not enough. This is what Jesus said. Jesus talked about this in two places. Um, I don't think I put these texts in there. For, for forgiveness. Um, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Jesus tells the parable about the guys who owe money one to the second servant, and the second servant to the king. The king comes to the first servant and says, you owe me, you know, a million dollars. The guy says, I'm sorry, I can't repay it. And the king says, oh, it's okay, I'll forgive it. That man then goes out, finds his friend, the friend owes him five bucks. The guy says, hey, you owe me five bucks, pay it to me, or I'm throwing you in the clink. The guy says, I can't. Guy number one says, fine. Has the guy thrown in jail. The servants see this, they go to the king. They tell the king what happened. The king comes back to him and says, Not only are you stupid, you're wicked. How much did I forgive you? You should have done the same. Why? This is Jesus' words. Because he who's forgiven much, loves much. Later, when Jesus is getting ready to be crucified, he's sitting in a particular man's house. A woman comes to him and starts crying and bathing his feet. And Jesus, Simon, the housekeeper, says, Do you know who this is? If you knew who this is, you wouldn't let her touch you. And Jesus says, no, we're wrong. I came into your house and you didn't wash my feet. She's been washing my feet with her tears. You didn't offer me oil. She's anointed my feet with oil. She hasn't stopped kissing my feet. Why? Because she's been forgiven much. Therefore, she loves much. In Christ's teaching, there's a very strong connection between how much I have been forgiven and the way that I both forgive the debts owed me, and the way that I love others. So when I say the evangelical church fails this point, what I'm saying is, the evangelical church does not say I need to work harder to earn God's favor. What we do say is you need to work harder when you've wronged me. Mm -hmm. And I'll accept you when you can prove that you're sorry enough. Which, if I recall, is not the way Jesus did it. And I'm saying that to myself. I'll move off the heaviness. But let's... All of me take that to heart. Second uh, area where the church acts as if Christ's atoning is not enough is we act in our evangelism as if Christ's sacrifice is not necessary. We act in our evangelism as if Christ's sacrifice isn't necessary. Third way we do it, we respond as if our sin is an internal problem, I'm sorry, we, we, we act as if our sin is an external problem with an internal solution. I was going to suggest that we do this, I won't, but I'll tell you what I was going to suggest. I was going to suggest that everyone here reach out their right hand, find the ear of the person next to them and start flicking it. Just just flick it. And let's see how well and how long your best attempts at being righteous to my flicking can outlast my mediocre attempt to annoy you. My half-hearted bad is stronger than your best effort at good. Your problem is not external. Our problem is internal. And we need an external solution. And so we come to the table of Christ alone. This is a table of remembrance. Where we remember how great our sin was. How perfect Christ's life was. How sufficient his sacrifice was. How completely atoned for our sins were. How forgiven our guilt is. As a result, how great our joy is having been become partakers. For what I received from the Lord, I pass on to you that Christ, the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after dinner, he took the cup, Pouring out, he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant which is made in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord Jesus, we come to your table not having any right to be here, Knowing that you have purchased our position at this table, you, because of your sacrifice and your sacrifice alone, have made us the invited guests of honor at this table. Lord, we recognize that our sin is great, we recognize that our problem is internal, and we ask. Father, that just as Christ came and completely atoned for our guilt, that you would continue to do a work in us to completely transform us to the image of our Lord and Savior. Make our joy complete, Father, by making us more like your Son, that your joy may be complete in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to pass out the elements. Would you please hold on to them as they come? We'll take them together in a moment. If this is your first time with us or if you... I've only been with this a few times. This is the table of Christ alone. If you believe that Jesus Christ lived perfectly, died for your sins, rose from the dead, and you've placed your hope in that for salvation, this is a table for you, and I invite you to come. We'll take it together in a few minutes. Lord, our life has been continuously stained by sin. We've been broken apart from you. We've been separated and alienated, torn apart just as your son's body was torn apart. But Father, your son came and allowed his body to be broken that we might be healed, that the separation and the alienation that resulted from our sin and our rebellion might be removed. That peace would be brought, wholeness would be made again out of what we had broken. Father, I thank you for the work that you have done on our behalf to bring us to God. The righteous dying for the unrighteous, that we might be saved that we who were far off from God have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. Take and eat the restoration of our relationship with God. Father, we see in the blood of your Son shed for us the perfection of your holiness, that you have not been satisfied by the thousands of animals that have been killed throughout history to cover our sin. You needed blood that was perfect. You required blood that was perfect. And we were unable to provide it, Father. But you provided it when your son came and laid down his life. No one taking it from him, but he laid it down of his own accord the perfect, spotless Son of God, the perfect High Priest, the perfect sacrifice, through whose blood we have been washed white than snow. I praise you, Jesus, for the kindness and mercy that you've shown to us in your love. Take and drink. Father, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Make us righteous today and tomorrow, not through our striving, Lord, not through our self-help and our I-can-do-it and our DIY, but through the work of he who came on our behalf, who proved his sufficiency, his exclusivity when he rose from the dead. Father, cause us to be made righteous through him alone, I pray in Jesus' name. Would you please stand for a benediction? This is from John chapter 8, verses 34 through 36. I tell you the truth, whoever sins is made a slave of sin, and a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son is a member of the family forever. Now, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Go with the freedom of Christ. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.